Hey everybody, it's Mike. Welcome or welcome back to the Revision Church Podcast. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download the Revision app, which is actually the best way to get access to new content and share it with friends. You can get the app by texting Revision App to 77977. Thanks for listening today. My hope is that this message will be helpful for you and would inspire you to take the next step on your faith journey. Nice to take a seat. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors at Revision. I'm excited to be here this morning. How about you? All right. I love singing Christmas songs because they're not just like a connection to people across the globe. They're a connection to people across history. Like, Oh, Come, O, Come, Emmanuel is probably the oldest song you know or have ever heard. It's a 1,500-year-old poem set to a 700-year-old tune, and that's pretty cool that we get to join in with Christians, not just across our planet today, but across time and space to worship God at Christmas. And Christmas is a fun season, except sometimes when you're a parent. This week, I was smack dab in the middle of parenting a preteen, and this is going to come as a shock to all of you who have ever been a parent or been a teenager, but we were not exactly seeing eye to eye on everything. And I had a moment where I remembered something Mark Twain once wrote. He said, when I was 14... My father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. (laughs) Time has a way of dramatically shifting our perspective. But I have a whole lot of grace for my kids when they disagree with me or think I am a mean idiot trying to wreck their lives because I remember thinking that about my parents. Specifically, one thing is burned into my brain. I was 17 years old. And this cute girl called me up and asked me to go to a movie with her and some of her friends. And it took me like half a second to say, yes, that is the thing that I would like to do. But then my mom inserted herself into the situation. She found out that this group was going to see some scary movie like Blair Witch Project or Silence of the Lambs 2 or something. Not even like a horror flick or a bloody slasher movie, just a scary movie. And she decided that 17-year-old Mike did not need to see that because it didn't live up to Deb Howard's standards. So I had to call this girl back and say, my mom won't let me go to the movie with you. (laughs) But um, maybe, like, do you want to, maybe me and you could just see a different movie and then meet up with your friends after? And thankfully she said yes. But, like, long story short, it was a Friday. I was supposed to go out of town to hang out with a buddy for the weekend, so I had to leave right after the movie. But the movie we saw and the movie her friends saw did not get over at the same time. So I took her to this movie, and then I took her to Steak and Shake, which is the place she was supposed to meet her friends after their movie got done. And this was the pre-cell phone era. We didn't just have phones in our pockets where we could call or text. And I basically got to the Steak and Shake parking lot, looked at her and said, big gulps, huh? All right, well, see you later. And just took off and left her there in the parking lot. I was like 10 minutes down the drive on I-80 and I realized that was not good. I don't know if anyone has ever been worse at being on a first date in the history of people, but she was cute and fun and never going to talk to me again, ever, especially if her friends forget her and she has to hitchhike home from Steak and Shake or something. And this is all my dumb mom's fault. Why is she always against me and trying to find ways to make me miserable, Debbie? And then things worked out. Like her friends didn't forget her at Steak and Shake. I had a good time at my friend's house that weekend. And she actually, in the end, ended up marrying one of my favorite people on the planet. And so it's all good. And if she were here, instead of across the hallway and kids, she would give me a huge eye roll for calling myself one of my favorite people on the planet. But I'm just trying to be honest in church, you guys. Uh, 
Yeah, that is the true story of my first date with my wife. And the real moral of that story is that Jenny's a saint, I am stupid, and I'm lucky she stuck around. But I will never forget how frustrated I was in that moment with my mom for just wrecking my life. And it's easy to feel that frustration when you're a teenager or when you're a kid. But when you're a parent and Every parent in this room has had this thought more times than they could possibly count. And if you're not a parent, I promise you, your parents have thought this about you. You can't help but have this thought again and again and again. Man, I wish they understood how much I love them. I wish they got it, how, how deeply and passionately I care. I wish they could see the instructions that I'm giving through the lens of what I want for them and not through the lens of me being a grumpy dictator who hates fun and wants to make their lives hard. Like, if they could just see that even when I'm getting it wrong, and sometimes I get it wrong, I'm just trying to aim their lives in the direction of the best possible story they could live. Oh, man, if they could see what I see when I look at them, they would trust me. And you guys, I think God has that exact same feeling toward us. I think Christmas is the story of God looking at humanity and saying, man, if they could just see themselves the way I see them everything would change. And that's why he stepped in. This morning we're in week three of this series called Bah Humbug, Who Needs Christmas? And last week we talked about how stressed people need Christmas because Christmas brings peace. And a couple weeks ago we kicked off this series by talking about how the world needed Christmas. And we took a look, uh, a look back at the beginning of the Christmas story. Not a young couple discovering they were about to have a baby, but an old couple doubting they ever could have a baby. Not a proclamation by angels in Matthew or Luke, but a promise by God in Genesis. Christmas is ultimately the story of God's faithfulness from generation to generation to generation. He made a promise to Abraham that the entire world would be blessed through Abraham's family, that this world wallowing in darkness and desperate for light would find it when God stepped in. But it turns out it wasn't just the world that needed Christmas. God needed Christmas too. That's what I want to help us see this morning. Who needs Christmas? God needs Christmas. And he needed it because he was desperate to help humanity understand the depths of his love for us. I mean, just think about the challenge laid before him. It's hard enough when you're eyeball to eyeball with a teenager or with seven-year-olds trying to get them to understand that, that you're setting up boundaries, not to limit them, but to liberate them. That you're making decisions even if they disagree because you want to set them free to grab a hold of the best possible story they could write with their lives. You want them to become all that they could become. Like That is not an easy task to get them to understand it. So what do you do if you're the invisible God and you're not tangible for your kids the way that I am as a dad who can wrap my arms around them? How does the creator communicate with creation? How does a spirit thunder in the souls of his children? Children who have turned their backs on him, rejected him, and walked away. How in the world can God communicate to people how infinitely we're loved? Christmas. Christmas is how he comes. He steps out of eternity into the fabric of the human story, and shows up in a tangible way to be with us. That's how God communicates his love. And I realize it sounds kind of weird for me to say that God needs Christmas or God needed anything, but that's the reason he needed Christmas. That's the reason he did exactly what he did in exactly the moment in which he did it. And the Apostle Paul, who started off as a Christian hater, 
And so if you're sitting here this morning and you're not sure about Christianity because you really don't like Christians, or if you're watching on the live stream and you're not sure, this is a guy worth paying attention to. He actually arrested and murdered Christians in the first century, and then one day he crashed into Jesus and it all made sense. Like the last 2,000 years of the story of God and his people suddenly clicked for Paul and Jesus changed everything. He became a church planter and at one point he wrote a church back to this, or he wrote a letter back to this church he had planted in the Roman province of Galatia. And he talked about Christmas and this is what he said, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Paul's like, at this exact moment in history when God realized he could get the world's undivided attention, this time where there was like peace in places where there'd never been peace before, there was the ability to communicate through a universal language that hadn't existed before, this time when the temple system in Jerusalem had collapsed because for them money had become more important than morality. Compassion had been replaced by corruption. Politics had replaced prayer as the hope of God's people. And all these leaders who were pretty sure God was important weren't that sure that people who were important to God were very important. In that moment, into an empire built on violence and a religious system built on corruption, God sent his son. The question is why? That's what I want to dig into this morning. Why did Jesus come at all? Why in the world would an infinite God decide to cram himself into a human body? That's not my only question. Like, if he was going to come, why come as a baby? Why show up in the way all of the rest of us had to show up? And why be born into poverty? And why be born under the law if you are the law? Like, if you're God, why not just show up on the pages of history and strut your stuff and be like, I am the creator and now that I'm here, everything changes. Like none of the way Jesus came would make any sense if it didn't make such perfect sense. Like why did God come in the way that he came at that first Christmas? He came to do what laws and regulations couldn't do, what kings and prophets couldn't do. What exile and punishment couldn't do, what the scriptures themselves could not do, he came to let us know how much he was loved. See, God wanted to make sure we understood his love was personal, so he decided to do something relational. He so desperately desired reconciliation with every human on the planet that he needed to become proximate. He needed to show up and get face-to-face and eye-to-eye with human beings to remove every barrier that had ever existed between us and him, and so he came. It was personal, so he had to step in to the human story. Because if he didn't, if he just sent another messenger with another message, if he just had another writer pen another letter, if he just performed another miracle, how would we know? Really, fully, completely, and truly know. You guys, I'm convinced we know where we stand with God because God came to stand with us. Because he didn't just tell us he loved us. He showed up and showed us that he loved us. And that's why we know where we stand. And the whole thing really is incredible. It almost seems like a fairy tale. And the details are are nearly unbelievable. But the truth is they're too remarkable to be unbelievable. 4,000 years ago, God made a promise to a dude named Abe that he was about to do something big. And 2,000 years after that, improbably, 
He fulfilled that promise and every subsequent one in the exact way he said he would. And 2,000 years after that, we're still sitting here talking about it. And think about everything that's happened over the last 2,000 years. All the billions upon billions of people who've existed, all the things that they did in their daily lives, we know almost nothing of it. We know a sliver of the history and a few of the names, but we know very little of what actually occurred across this entire planet over the last two millennia. But we know, and the world knows, about this baby born in a barn to an unwed mother in the armpit of the Roman Empire, who eventually became bigger than the empire itself. And not just eventually, but quickly, less than 60 years after the first Christmas. Specifically, 59 years after the birth of Jesus, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to a church that was exploding in the city of Rome. The Emperor Nero hated and persecuted Christians, and right under his nose, the church exploded. And if you've got a Bible or a Bible handy this morning, I'd like you to open it up to chapter 5 of the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. It's called Romans. It's sandwiched between Acts and 1 Corinthians. If you don't have a Bible, no worries. You can follow along with the words on the screen. And if you need a Bible, or your kids do, please grab them from the Next Steps table before you go. We got them in a bunch of different colors for a bunch of different ages. They are free. We love it when they disappear, so please take one. But in Romans chapter 5, verse 7, Paul writes this, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates. He didn't just say it. He lived it. He didn't just tell us. He showed us. Like the world had been waiting for this moment since the moment it was broken when Adam and Eve rejected God in the garden. And then at at Christmas, God's love was made manifest. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That statement is nuts, you guys. It's incredible because what it means is that like Jesus' death was a demonstration that God is not just with us, God is for us. He's so for us that he was willing to die for us. And I think it begs this question. And it's a critical question. If you're here this morning or maybe you're watching online and you're not a Christian, maybe it's because no one has ever answered this question for you before. And so I just want to beg you to just tune in and pay attention to this next part. Like if you're making your shopping list in your head right now, press pause. If you're sitting at home doing your shopping list, Amazon will be there. Just press pause. Like this matters so much. The question is, why did Jesus have to die? And why such a violent spectacle? Why the blood and gore and the crown of thorns and why so publicly and so painfully? Why couldn't Jesus have just shown up and said everything's good? Why couldn't he have just gathered the crowd on one of those hillsides and said, hey, you guys, big news. I decided to forgive you. So it's all good now. You got to go to heaven when you die. Pretty sweet, huh? Peace out. And then just back to heaven. Why not? It's a fair question. I think there are a couple answers for it. The first one is no one would have believed him if he said that. If you read the gospel accounts of his life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, sometimes he did say, your sins are forgiven, usually when he's healing people. And every time he did that, the super religious folks and the leaders freaked out. 
not because they had just witnessed a miraculous healing, which they probably should have freaked out about. I think if I saw a lame person pop up and run off, my mind would be pretty blown. But they freaked out because he said their sins were forgiven. And they were mad because humans can't just forgive sins. You can forgive somebody's sin when they sin against you. But if they kick your neighbor's sister in the head, you don't get to forgive that. You can't be like, ah, no worries about the kick to the face of Sarah, man. I forgive you. Like, that's not yours to forgive. Sarah would like a word, right? And ultimately, only God can forgive sins. And so when Jesus said your sins are forgiven, nobody really took that seriously. But more importantly, and this is the big thing, here's why Jesus had to die. Well, he had to come to earth and take on human form and be with us so that we would know how much he loves us and then give up his life for us. It's because God is the author of life. And life is so beautiful and complex and sublime, we're still trying to figure it out, right? There's so much about it we don't understand. Like your cells are smarter than your brain. Your cells are doing crazy things to keep you alive right now that you don't even understand and you couldn't shut down if you wanted to. Life is amazing and God is the author of that. He dreamed it up and knit it together and he's not just the author of life, he's the author of your life. But you and me and everybody else who ever lived have turned our backs on him. We've tried to put ourselves in his position and we've rejected him. In our own selfishness, we've been ungrateful for the gift of life we were given and we've denied the giver. And here's what we got to understand. To dishonor the source of life is to deserve the forfeiture of life. We owe God our lives. And when we disregard God with our lives, we deserve to lose our lives. And the thing is, I, you didn't choose the day you were born. You probably will not choose the day you die. But between those miraculous bookends, somehow you have a choice to either live into the fullness of who God says he dreamed you up and created you to be, or to hold your hand up to him and reject him, decide that you know better than he does and he is not good and you're going to chart your own course forward. Every one of us has chosen the latter path. And we've done damage. Damage to God, damage to ourselves, damage to the people around us, damage to all of creation as a result. And so we deserve to lose the gift of life that we were given. Because our, our guilt, right, is not just a weird feeling. It's not just a feeling we need to get out from under. It is an objective reality. We live in a universe that's not just made up of grass and air and wood and metal and physical things. It is made up in its very fabric of truth and justice and connection to a creator. And you will bang your head just as hard against that as you would against a brick wall if you try to live as though it is not true. Justice matters to the heart of God. And so our rejection of What's right? Our rejection of his love, our rejection of the path he said we, was made, or we were made for, like, and, and our feelings of guilt, they're not just subjective, they are an objective reality. That mean we deserve to die because we've chosen to turn our backs on the author of life. And that creates a fairly significant problem for God. I realize it's weird to say that God has a problem, but it's true. I heard the author, theologian, pastor Tim Keller once say it like this, our guilt is the only real problem God ever faced. Which again, seems 
difficult to wrap our minds around because God's will and God's word can create. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God says, let there be, and there, there is. God can create with his will, but he couldn't just say, let there be forgiveness, and there was forgiveness. And it's awkward to use the word couldn't with an all-powerful God who can do anything, but Paul's trying to tell us that that was the functional problem God had in Galatians 4. When he said Jesus had to come at the set time because God couldn't just call it all good and then it would be all good. He couldn't paper over the cracks because papering over the cracks doesn't actually fill in the cracks. It's like if a judge in Des Moines decided to call it all good on a murder trial because the murderer said, yeah, he slit his throat, but I'm really sorry. And the judge was like, all good, good matata. You can't go free. No big deal. We would lose our minds. Twitter would explode, right? Everyone would demand that that judge be removed from the bench because we cannot function as a society like that. And if we wouldn't accept those kind of standards from a human judge, what makes us think God would have lower standards? The problem is the way he created the universe doesn't work without justice. And so God couldn't just pretend our sin wasn't real and make it not real. He couldn't just say that it didn't happen and erase the fact that it did happen. It had to be paid for. It couldn't be overlooked. God could not and cannot just accept it, so he had to conquer it. And that's why Jesus came. At Christmas, Jesus stepped in to be with us so he could live amongst us and show us his love and ultimately die in our place. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The philosopher John Stott beautifully put it like this, the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. And in the next sentence he wrote, man asserts himself against God by putting himself in the place only God deserves to be. God sacrifices himself for man by putting himself in the place only man deserves to be. In the end, Jesus came and he took what we deserved. We earned death, so he came and died, even though he didn't have to. I don't want all of us to see that this morning. He didn't have to. There was absolutely nothing in this universe that compelled the death of Jesus. In the Middle Ages, Anselm wrote a book called Curdeus Homo, Why the God-Man? And his answer was substitutio voluntarium. The God-Man came to be a voluntary substitute. And what that means is that Jesus is the only one for whom death is a personal act. For the rest of us, it's a natural consequence. But not for the God who came and lived a sinful life or a sinless life. For him, it's not a consequence, it's a decision. Which means Jesus is the only person who ever chose to die. Don't miss that. Jesus is the only person who ever chose to die. And I know some of you might be thinking, what about people who commit suicide? Or what about people who heroically sacrifice their lives for the sake of the people around them so that others might live? And the answer to that is they chose the moment of their death, but they did not choose the fact of it. They chose when, but they didn't choose whether. We have some limited ability as human beings to either expedite or delay our death. We have no ability as human beings to escape it. Jesus did. And he chose it anyway. He stepped in to bear the weight of our sin and guilt so that we could be forgiven and set free. And then he rose again from the dead and rescued us from the death clutches of the final enemy, death itself. And then he got his disciples together and he said, go tell the world. Go tell everybody this good news. Go build this thing that I invented called the church and make sure every person on this planet hears how much I love 
and what I've done for them. And his disciples did, and it's absolutely crazy. These guys, Peter and John and Paul and Mary and all these followers of Jesus began to like, they, they walked back out into Jerusalem. And they looked at these powerful people who had murdered and tortured Jesus and they got eye to eye with them and they said, you killed the author of life. When Pilate offered to set somebody free, you cheered for Barabbas, a murderer who had taken life to be set free, instead of Jesus, the one who invented life and breathed it into the nostrils of every living thing on this planet. You rejected the author of life and you deserve to die. And so do we and so did everybody. And you didn't kill him because of your power. No, 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 don't mistake it. You killed him because he let you do it because he loves you. You absolutely rejected the author of life and deserve to lose your lives. But if you believe in him, you don't have to. And they said it boldly. This group of people who just a few days earlier had been hiding out in fear for their lives no longer had any concern for their lives because they had met the risen Jesus and they knew death was dead. And it changed the world. People believed in what Jesus had done for them. And why did Jesus do it? Love. Love is why he did it. He understood that sometimes love has to be seen to be believed. He loved us too much to leave us where we were. And and he realized, man, I cannot demonstrate this love without sacrifice. And so he showed up. He showed up because he looked at us like in, in the middle of our rebellion. But we were running away from him, rolling our eyes at him like a teenager rolls their eyes during the I love you and this is for your good speech. And he said, man, if they could just see themselves, how I see them, they would know. And so he stepped in and paid the price for you and me because he got it. Like the, the reason God needed Christmas is that love has to be shown to be known. I think we all understand that. We've heard people tell us that they love us or tell us that they care and we've all doubted it. Because words are cheap and they cost us nothing. But when we've seen it lived out, when we've been the beneficiary of someone else's self-sacrifice, it's a whole lot harder to doubt. God knew that love has to be shown to be known, and so he stepped in. And so my prayer for all of us in this Christmas season, in the busyness and the beauty of it, as we celebrate and experience the, the meaning and the joy of these moments, My prayer is that we'll look with fresh eyes upon that baby in the manger and see God not just shouting out to us, but God reaching out to us in a tangible way to let us know how incredibly we are loved. Like Jesus came not to die for good people, not to die for righteous people, to die for me and you, broken, hopeless, helpless people. And he did it because as John so eloquently tells us in chapter 3, verse 16 of his account of Jesus' life, he's so loved the world. God needed Christmas. He invented it. He came up with it. He thought it up and made it happen because he realized his love had to be seen to be believed. It had to be shown to be known. And so he stepped in in order to demonstrate his love for this rebel race because if he didn't, maybe we never would have really, truly, fully, completely known. And maybe you're sitting here this morning, or you're watching online right now, and you've never believed that. You've never put your faith in it. Or maybe you used to, and you've been running away for a really, really long time. Or maybe you're just here, and you're frustrated. You're sitting in the middle of this pandemic-ravaged world that's about to hit its second year, and life is hard, and life is broken, and you're just wondering 
why. You're feeling about God the way I felt about my mom when she tried to wreck my first date with Jenny. Just, what are you doing? Seriously, maybe sometimes you look at God the way my kids sometimes look at me and say, why don't you care? Why are you making this so hard? Why won't you let me do what I want? Why won't you show up for me in the way that I want you to show up for me? Where are you? Why? And if that's you, I want you to know I have been praying for you. I've been praying that this morning might help connect the dots, that it might click for you and you might understand just the depth and the magnitude and the brilliance of God's love that caused him to take on flesh and step into the human story because he loved you that much, that allowed him to make the choice to die to pay the price for your sin. And I want you to know if you've never believed in that before, you can. It's free and easy. All you have to do is trust that that is why he came and what he did for you. And if you've been running in the other direction, don't believe you can't come back. If he loved you enough to die, he will welcome you home with open arms. And no matter where you're at, like for all of us, no matter where we are on our spiritual journey, just my hope right now is that we would leave here almost overflowing in a way that makes a difference in the lives of the people around us, just overflowing with hope and joy and peace because we understand God needed Christmas because he needed us to know how deeply we're loved. Man, his love changes everything. Will you guys pray with me? Oh, thank you. Thank you for loving us enough to step into our story. Thank you for caring so much about us, this, this rebel race of people, that you were willing to come and give everything so that we might be reconciled, so that we, we might be forgiven and set free and redeemed. Lord, I pray today that you would just fill our hearts. Fill us with peace, fill us with hope, fill us with joy because we understand how passionately we're loved and help us walk out of here back into a dark and hurting world that's desperate to breathe the oxygen of your love and just let the hope and joy that live in us overflow all over the people we crash into this week so that they too can understand that you are good and that you love us deeply. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.